0: If we haven't met yet, let's go ahead and get rolling. My name's Nick Mastrud. Um, I get to spend most of my time, as Dave said, with high schoolers and young adults, but it's always a huge treat to be able to be here with the whole church family. And uh, we've been in this five-week series, family-friendly series, through the book of Joshua, no, Jonah, and it's been a blast so far. And today we're in chapter three. Um, just Just to prep you, if you have a Bible, it takes a little while to find Jonah. It's a really small book, so there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Grab it uh, on, on your phone if you can. But I want to start this morning with a quick crash course recap and catch you up on where we've been and where we're going to be today. So far, Jonah was a prophet in Israel. He got a word from God to go to Nineveh. And this was bummer news because Nineveh just happened to be the nation's worst enemies. If you haven't known the story so far, they specialized in cruelty They were the worst of the worst. They did things to people that aren't appropriate to share in this family setting. And he, Jonah, was asked to teach them about God and his compassion and that the offer is on the table for them to receive forgiveness. And Jonah, despising these people, he refuses God's call on his life. He's like, I'm I'm not going to do that. He's thinking, I don't want these people to come to God. They're the worst. They don't deserve the grace of God. They actually deserve what they are. They deserve the worst. So Jonah boards a ship to Tarshish. There's a little map here to show you how significant this is. This is as far as the known world would take him. He wanted to go to the ends of the earth, not for the Lord, but to get away from the Lord. He's getting out of Dodge. And while sailing to Tarshish, scripture says that God sends a storm. The people on the boat, rightfully so, they start freaking out. They start praying to their gods. They start throwing cargo off the ship. And while all of this is going on, Jonah is sleeping. He's doing everything he can to ignore what's going on. Ever done that before? Maybe, maybe if I can just sleep, I can forget the reality of, of life. The, the sailors decide to roll dice to determine why the storm was going on, which we do, right? If you ever have a question, just go ahead. No, we don't do that. But all the odds, all the odds pointed to Jonah. All the odds pointed to Jonah. So they wake Jonah up, and, the, and and he says, yes. They say, dude, Jonah, what are you doing? He says, yes, I'm running from God, and if you want the storm to relent, then you should probably just throw me overboard. If you want the storm to stop, throw me overboard, hence the title of our teaching series. And so after much angst, these sailors throw Jonah overboard into the raging sea, and suddenly the storm grows calm. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about the seeming doom that Jonah was heading towards. And as Jonah is making his way to the depths of the sea, by God's grace, he provides a giant fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah's life, to say the least, was extremely off track. It was off track. Dave talked about what happens when your life gets off track. What can we learn? What can we learn about a life overboard from the book of Jonah? So far, we've covered act one. Act one is Jonah runs. Act two, Jonah sails. Act three, Jonah is swallowed. What do you think act four might be? Hmm, let's have a kahoot question and figure this out. Act four, what might this be? In act four of Jonah, Jonah's story, Jonah does what? He obeys God. He finally makes it to Tarshish. He parties with the Ninevites, or he becomes a fisherman, which would be very fitting. Get your questions in. All right, act four is, yes, Jonah obeys God. Good work. Jonah obeys God. Finally, we're picking it up in in Jonah chapter three. Once again, pull your Bibles out if you can. We'll have one up on the screen if not. But let's start in Jonah chapter three, verse one. Let's read what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. I wonder if that was a dreadful thing to hear after a flashback to what happened last time he refused this. Jonah obeyed, listen to that, Jonah obeyed the word of God, the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. What you would kind of expect, or at least what I would expect next, is for the story to go something like this. Jonah wouldn't obey. He messed up. So God went to plan B. Jonah's disobedience disqualified his calling. He's not going to be used by God. But we don't see that in this text. Right out, of the, right out of the gate in chapter three, he obeyed. And there is power behind this that we, can, that we can pull from this. And I think it's this, Jonah's past doesn't disqualify him from being used by God. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Jonah's past doesn't disqualify him from being used by God. The events leading up to chapter 3, this is why it's significant, because it's full of rebellion, it's full of disobedience, and running and refusing to be used by God. And in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, we see that he is handed a second chance. Anybody ever needed a second chance in life? Anybody? Let's all just raise our hands. Maybe it'll wake us up a little bit too. We've all been in need of a second chance. When have you been in Jonah's shoes? When was the last time you found yourself maybe running from God? When was the last time you knew the godly thing to do and you refused to do it? You refused to follow through. As Dave asked, asked last week, when was your life off track? Where is your life off track. Let me let me give you a stark and hopeful reminder that we find in Jonah's story today. Let's pull it into our reality. Your past doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. You guys understand that? Your past, whatever story you had been writing up to this point, it doesn't have to disqualify you from being used by God in powerful ways. I don't know where you have been. I don't know what your past consists of, but I do know this, our God is bigger. You guys believe that? Our God is bigger than the past story that may have been written. Don't continue in a life off track because you believe that your past is irredeemable. It absolutely is, it, it is redeemable because we have a big, big God. God didn't give up on Jonah. I am so relieved by that. He didn't give up on Jonah in response to his disobedience and your past doesn't have to dictate your future. It doesn't have to. Your past disobedience does not have to equal future disobedience, right? Just like Jonah's here. The rear view mirror of your life doesn't have to steer where you go next in life, maybe contrary to popular opinion. Don't let your past have a foothold into your future. Don't let your past dictate where you go next. I don't know, once again, I don't know your past. Um, but I know that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. You want to know why I know that? Because I'm standing, I'm standing right here, right? I'm standing here. My past hasn't been extremely glamorous. It hasn't been very pretty. But God started rewriting my story, right? And I know almost every person can stand up here and, and be a testament to that reality. I am a testament to the reality of God using broken, messed up people regardless of their past, and let me remind, re, remind you that, that our God is a God of another chance. In what area of life do you need another chance? He's not just the God of another chance, like you get your second, but that's, that's it. No, he's the God of another and another and another. In what area of life are you coming before God this morning and thinking, God, thank you for handing me another chance? Through Jesus, it is on offer for you. Do you believe that? It's on offer for you. God is in the business of lavishing chances upon us. I'm so grateful for that reality. Maybe maybe some of you feel crippled because of a lost chance. Maybe you're like, man, I blew it. I blew it. Let me just say, don't be crippled by a lost chance. Be motivated by the reality that another chance is being handed to you and I. Another chance is on offer to you and I through the person of Jesus. The story of the Bible, it isn't... It isn't about a God who searches for people with a perfect track record, right? He's not like, okay, yes, you, right? You know how we, how, we don't, how we know that? Well, first off, Jonah, was his track record that great? No, the story of the Bible is about a God who is out to rescue people who don't have a perfect track record, right? We wouldn't need rescuing otherwise. So be relieved today that you and I are perfect candidates to be used powerfully by God, not because of anything that we do, but because of what God is in the business of. And again, I don't know your story, but I have gotten a glimpse of God. I don't know your story, but I know that our God is big. Don't allow the things in the past to rob you of the purposes that God has in your future. And you might think, Nick, that is, it sounds really, really cool, but you don't know my story. You do not know my story. You don't know where I've been. And I would say, you know what, you're right. For a lot of you, I don't know your story. But what I'd invite you to is get to know how big our God is. Get to know how big our God is. I dare you to. I know that he is in the business not of just redeeming broken things, he's in the business of making dead things come back to life. If you're thinking my past has been broken, my past feels dead, let me just say God is in the business of redeeming and bringing things back to life, much like Jonah found himself in, much like those situations. The difference we see from the beginning of Jonah and then here in this story is it says, Jonah obeyed. I love that little, I love those two words, Jonah obeyed. You have no idea what God could set in motion through one single act of obedience. One single act of obedience, we're going to see what kind of effect it has. When you say yes to God, it reverberates. When you, say, you guys believe that? When you say yes to God, it's not just, oh, cool. They, no, it reverberates. It affects more than just you, the people in and around your life. Let's keep reading about what happens. Jonah chapter 3, um, kind of the latter part of, of verse 3. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. We have another quick Kahoot question here as we move forward. What does Nineveh mean? What does Nineveh mean? Does it mean the house of the rebels? Does it mean the house of the fish? Does it mean none of your business? Does it mean the land of the dead? What do you guys think? Awesome. Wow. Oh, wow. This was a good question here. So the answer is the house of the fish. Man, that was yes no this was great so nineveh comes from the word i don't i'm not going to butcher this word but it comes from this top word here and it's the image of a fish within a house this is all news to me i'm I'm, i was actually nerding out hard on this stuff but it comes from that some scholars come to define nineveh because of that. that 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 word means the house of the fish this is getting kind of interesting right we've been talking about fish a whole lot i thought mcgrath's was the original fish house apparently nineveh was um, and then these, that was such a dad joke. But next, they most of them worshipped Dagon, which is the fish god. We have an image of that. Isn't this crazy? I was explaining this to some of the people on staff, to, to Josh and Logan here. And, and I was like, dude, get this. Nineveh means the house of the fish, and they worshipped the fish god. And they go, oh. And like dots are connecting. And I'm like, what? What, what is going on in your brain right now? And they're like, VeggieTales makes so much sense now. <laughs> and I never grew up watching VeggieTales. I don't even, I know nothing about it. And they're like, check this out. They showed me this clip. You got to check this out. That is the weirdest thing, but it it all makes sense now, right? Nineveh, the house of the fish, Dagon, the fish god, and get this. Once you start making this connection, it'll blow you away. The man sent to convert people who lived in the house of the fish, Nineveh, and followed the fish god, Dagon, was delivered by a god who sent a man who was transported by a giant fish to redeem the people isn't that crazy? I was like sitting there at my desk like, guys, no one was around. And then I found these guys and they led me to that. But if that's not creative, I don't know what what is. Like God is awesome in so many different ways. Um, Don't you think the people of Nineveh had their minds blown? They're like, wait a minute. So how did you get here again? And anyways, Jonah chapter three, verse four, let's move on. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This sounds insane to me. This message right here sounds crazy. You would think the message would be something like this. I know you guys are the worst, or this is what it would look like in our day. I know you guys are the worst. I know you are rebels and you live a kind of a rough lifestyle, but God loves you and you can be forgiven if you put your hope and trust in him, right? But the message he came prepared with sounded extremely controversial, Extremely con it's almost a threat. It's like we're gonna come in and shred you in forty days. How do you think the Ninevites responded? Let's do a cahoot. How do you think they responded? This is the first time I'm gonna tell you don't read your Bible, but don't read it real quick. How did the Ninevites respond? They listened to Jonah and repented. They threw Jonah overboard again. They ignore Jonah's message or they emailed Jonah's pastor. Yes, it's listen to Jonah and repent. Wow, 16 of them ignored Jonah's message. Okay, so verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to least, put on sackcloth. This may be the most amazing verse in all of Jonah. The Ninevites believed. The Ninevites, the worst of the worst, the rebels the crooks, the people who do the unspeakable, the people who would never straighten their lives up, the people who had no hope, can you believe that such a response could come from such few words? When I read that, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? What if we had a faith that believed eight words could change not only a single life, but an entire nation? What if we believe that, that eight words could change not only a life, but an entire nation? With these eight words, Jonah actually led the greatest revival recorded in Scripture. Can you believe that? The greatest revival recorded in Scripture is right here, done by a sermon of eight words. Side note, I was traveling for um, middle school camp the other day, and we're having kind of a game, game going on. And I'm, I'm talking in there, and I'm like, all right, guys, Devin is going to preach the fastest sermon, um, the best sermon in 30 seconds, ready, go. And all he says is, amen. And everybody just applauds. They're like, yes, that was awesome. And then it kind of dies down, and I hear a little voice from the back, Nick, that's a better message than I've ever heard you preach. And I'm like, oh, I think there's power in shorter sermons, and I'll try to work on that. But but the point that I want to make is this. What I'm reminded of is this reality here. Don't underestimate the power of God's words. Never underestimate the power of God's words. The words and the message of God to his people has the ability to turn not just individual lives, but it has the power to turn entire nations. And not just people and nations, but the most corrupt people and nations. I don't know about you, but I want a a faith that believes that wholeheartedly. I want a faith that wakes up and thinks the power of God's word can change lives and nations and schools in workplaces, the message of God has the power to change the most wicked of hearts. The message of God has the power to save the person, and this is gonna to be tough, the person that you despise, the person that you cannot stand, the person you hate. And when we, get, when we start getting familiar with this, we start understanding why Jonah fled from his calling in the first place. So we think, not them, no, not them. He didn't want these people to be recipients of such a good God. Who is that person? Who's the person that you're like, yeah, this is going to be a bummer question, but who is the person in your life that you can't stand? Who is your Nineveh? Who is the, and this is hard, I know, and it's kind of cringy. That's a cringy question. It makes us feel uncomfortable or squirm a little bit. But who is the person you despise? Who is the person, when you think of them coming to Christ, you think there is no way? They would never they, are, they, they would never be softened enough to come to Christ. They are so far gone. They are too broken and messed up. And further than that, they don't deserve the Father's love. Let's be reminded here, especially as we move forward in this story, that the love of God is pretty scandalous. The love of God is shocking. The love of God is, is out of this world. It's pretty foreign to the way that our world operates. This is a stark reminder that the words of God and his words alone have the power to change any and every life. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? What if we lived like we believed that were true? What if we believed that the short, the small, the the words of God had the power to change any and every life? I think what it would do is it would make us more vocal about what God has said in scripture. It would change, it, it it would cause us to be more familiar with his words, right? It'd cause us to be more familiar. If if his words change lives and nations, um, doesn't it make sense that we grow in familiarity with his words, right? If we're gonna be the messengers of his words that change lives and change nations, it makes sense that we'd be familiar with it. I want to know his words inside and out so that I can take them to people wherever I go. Let's be those people. I heard the most simple truth the other day that I couldn't get out of my mind as I was studying this, and it's this reality here. God speaks through what he has spoken. So simple. But God speaks through what he has spoken. In other words, if you want to hear God speak, you don't have to wait for an audible voice. You can find his words in scripture. We have the gifts and the ability to remind people of who God is and what he says when we speak the truths of scripture. Let's be familiar with scripture. If you want to play a part, which I hope we all do in seeing hearts turn and lives change, I think it starts with being people who carry God's word deep within us and from there delivering it into other people's lives, much like Jonah. Our words can only do so much, but God's words can change it all. God's words can change it all. If you get nothing from that, this today, God's words can change it all for you and for anybody. I wanna encourage you, because this is my tendency, I wanna encourage you to fight the tension of, say, of saying someone's no for them. Maybe you've done this before. If you're anything like me, I see someone living a life opposed to all that God has for them and my mind thinks something like this. They won't want to hear this. Maybe you've done this. They won't want to hear this. They will be so shut off to the thought of God in their life. They will think I'm so weird if I bring God up right now. They will think I'm judging them if I get all Jesus-y. And in doing so, I say they're no for them. I refuse an invite, I say they're no for them. It's in these moments that I need to be reminded not to underestimate the power of God's words to his people. I need to be reminded of Jonah's story. I want a faith that believes revival can come out of eight simple words that just happen to be from the heart and mind of God. I'm not saying that you need to get up in everybody's business and, and be weird about it, but I am saying that God can do some crazy things when we wisely share his words with others. You agree? It says that a fast was proclaimed. A fast was a way of, an in, of intentionally robbing strength, giving up strength, emptying their resources, humbling everything they were all about. They chose to weaken themselves, which even opened them up to like outside attacking forces. Why would they do this? Why would they all of a sudden fast? Because they would rather be weak and vulnerable before a God that can save them than to be the target of a God who has the ability to destroy them. Right, they were convicted about the life that they had chosen, so they responded. They trusted God in an instant. This story is crazy, guys. It, it also says that they put on sackcloth. Dave's going to go ahead and uh, demonstrate. No, I'm just kidding. This was this was a visible form of repentance, right? It's a visible form of repentance. I have the hardest time. It also says that the animals did this. I try not to picture that because then I just start laughing. But Jonah, let's keep reading. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's see what happens next. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, isn't that crazy? The warning came to the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. The king in the dust by the decree of the king and his nobles do not let people or animals herds or flocks taste anything do not let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth let everyone call urgently on god god may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Something about this king is that he wasn't like a leader in our day with structure and processes and accountability. This guy had absolute authority. That's scary to think about. He had absolute authority to kill Jonah and go about his business or do literally whatever he wanted in this moment. The choice was up to him. No one telling him what to do. And this guy, what does he do? He gets in the dust. He sits down in the, in the dirt. That's how he responds. Sometimes I think that we try to speed up the process of repentance. Some things can only happen slowly with time. And I think this is one of those cases slowing down to allow God to do the deep work within us, the deep work within this king. We slow down the work of God when we try to speed up his work. Sometimes we slow down the work of God when we speed up his work or try to. So this king, he sits in the filth of what led to this point. He sits in his brokenness. He sits in his conviction. He lets it go deep inside of him. He processes it. He's responding to the word of God. He grieves and he mourns in his heart like a massive ship that takes time begins to turn in the other direction. Where do you see yourself in this story? I think worldly sorrow says, God, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I got found out and now I have these consequences. I think godly sorrow says there is something deeply broken in me that needs to be reformed and I need to sit in this dust long enough for you, O God, to reshape and retrain and redirect my heart. And I'm not talking about nurturing shame or like arboring guilt and sitting in that. I'm talking about sitting long enough for God's reality to move from the head to the heart, to move from concept to reality. It says when God saw what they had did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring them the destruction that he had planned. Let's be reminded that the dominant and preeminent character of God is that of compassion. Let this be refreshing for your soul today. This is one of the sweetest and most beautiful realities of living with and for God, that he is full of mercy, he's full of love, he's full of compassion. The image is of a father with arms open wide, ready for you to come and run so that he can embrace you. There is no greater form of compassion than what we find on the cross. The cross of Christ, the greatest form of compassion. The compassion of God was on full display as the blood-stained cross for the sins of the world stood that day. That's where our foundation is. That compassion, friends, is still on offer for you. That compassion is on offer for you and I. Let's go running towards that. When we sit in the realities of our brokenness, But simultaneously in the compassion of God, we are changed from the inside out. And that is what the king is doing at this time. That is what this nation of of Nineveh is doing at that time. My guess would be um, that you have walked in here today with an area of life that you need a little extra compassion in. Maybe there's some some grieving or some mourning of some losses that have taken place. And maybe there's a place where you need to sit in God's compassion. You need to soak that up. Maybe like the Ninevites, you've been warned or you've been found out and you've been living opposed to God. Um, Some area of your life, let me remind you that at the cross of Christ, you get to breathe in compassion today. You get to breathe in compassion. You get a second chance. It's graciously offered to you in the person of Jesus. Grab that, take no time, grab that second chance. We have a way of taking in this reality every single week and it's called communion. Before you start shifting gears, let me explain. It's a time of fixing our eyes on the great love with which he loved us. It's a a form of compassion, fixing our eyes on that compassion. It's a time of sitting in the compassion of God. And if you don't know Jesus, I wanna share with you really quickly. If you don't know Jesus, you're here. Let me just say this. He loves you. He loves you a whole lot. He has compassion on you. The offer is on the table for you. Jesus loves you literally to the point of death. That's how much. As far as the east is to the west. I don't know your past, but nothing is too big for God to redeem. Nothing. Nothing is too big for God to redeem. You are a target for his compassion. What we see in Jonah is that God will go to the depths of the sea for you. What we see in Jesus is that he'll go to the depths of the grave for you. He will go, he will do whatever it takes for you. God can reach any soul, he can cleanse any heart, he can repurpose any life. Friends, this love is too great to refuse. Let's come running towards that. Let's sit in that for a moment. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to rest in God's compassion. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that this fun and interactive kind of story just has such profound truths for us. God, we're thankful that you hand us a second chance in Jesus' name. We're thankful that, that because of our past, it doesn't disqualify us from the way that you, conti- you want to continue to use us. God, for those that are in this room that feel like they live a life that's irredeemable or they live a life that has disqualified them, I pray that you would just breathe fresh vision into where it is that you're leading them. I pray that our past would no longer have a foothold as we run into your compassion, we run into your embrace, we receive your second chance. God, rewrite our story like you did Jonah. God, we love you but we're captivated by the way that you love us. We are changed by the way that you love us. We give ourselves to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.